Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity segment. And I'm excited to have this couple on. And I want to find out first of all, how they met Uh, both celebrities, both uh, are iconic in specific ways, but they have a book. They've come together and they're going to help me. So I'm excited to welcome the program celebrities, Corbin Burnson and Amanda Pace, Corbin and Amanda. Thanks for calling. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I'm going to go back first to Amanda. And Amanda, I was looking back at some of your uh, Wikipedia and some of the films. What did you think of uh, that the 80s for you and stuff? Some pretty interesting uh, parts you had in the 80s, didn't you? Uh, interesting, yes. I think I started with some a little horror movie. That's what you're talking about. And then I went on to Max Headroom and... Uh, off the blues, so yeah, it was a kind of an interesting time. Um, that's where we met. I met Corbin when he was some when I was on Max Headroom at the time. Yeah, we, um, we met in the nightclub. We met in the nightclub, and she basically, you know, uh, blue blue disc me, blew me off. But she did give me a phone number that was connected to her dressing room, which if you know what that means, is pretty meaningless. <laughs> it's a dressing room phone number that basically rings, and that nobody ever answers. <laughs> And then uh, I noticed we were shooting L.A. Long one day, and right across the alley from us, where there was an old stage where they had done Blade Runner or something, uh, a big couple in Little China, uh, somebody was shooting on that stage. And uh, and I asked who it was, and they said, well, it was Max Hedrum. And I uh, yeah, yeah, Max Hedrum. And I said, wow, I know a girl, man. I went and found Amanda, you know, sort of told her that she blew me off. But it happened to be their last day of filming that series. And if they weren't there, I mean, yeah. this book would have never happened. <laughs> yeah, 30 years later. Wow, interesting. Uh, so, Amanda, when you did you know Corbin when he, like, first, you, you first met who he was and stuff like that? Like, of stuff he's done in acting? No. Uh, uh, yeah, well, basically, I mean, you know, when he walked in, I think somebody said, oh, you know, that guy plays a real sort of sod, aren't you better? And I wasn't interested at all. But he was, we were, we were introduced by a, um, a friend. Uh, he was very charming. But I was a little bit cocky in those days as well. He was like, I'm on a show called Ellie Law. And I was like, oh, well, I'm on a show called Max Hedrum. And he said, I've just shot a movie. And I said, so have I. <laughs> uh, you know. So um, I did give him a bit of a runaround for a few months. Yeah, uh, but then I thought, no, this guy, this guy's a sweetheart. Um, of course, then we connected, and uh, she came up to my uh, newly refurnished two hundred thousand dollar 
bachelor house uh, up in the hills of, uh, in Laurel Canyon, and immediately in the first walking in the door, she goes, well, all this is going to change. And, I mean, the paint wasn't even dry yet. and <laughs> paint. <laughs> I thought my deal at the time. But that's right where we started learning to uh, uh, compromise. compromise in the best terms of the word. Right. In the compromise part, and that's important as a couple. So, Amanda, who is more of the designer, you or Corbin, or Corbin learned from you? Well, actually, um, you know, we're, we, 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 we're different. We, we both have uh, elements that we bring into this design world. And Corbin was a carpenter. He trained as a carpenter. He was really the builder of the the spatial guy, the kind of like, we can knock this wall down, we can do this, this, and, and I have much more the aesthetic, uh, the palette, the materials, the the overall kind of feel of the place. So we work in, in tandem together really well. But what we've sort of over 30 years discovered, and we've worked our way backwards toward it, is where we are very common is to keep it simple. Um, yeah. You know, in this world, it's a little cluttered to say the least, with both news, information, and stuff, we have found, and maybe it's an age thing, you know, you got to go, you're young, right. you got to collect the wires. Yeah. We have found the easiest way to navigate this world is to keep things simple. And that could go right down to a relationship itself, you know. Um, you know, you see so many people not being able to make it through their relationships, and I think people just clutter themselves with too much. and. No stuff and uh i think you know in that the home is sort of the starting place and ending place of each day keeping it simple yes it's, whether it's how you design the house to your clothing your closet to the food you eat and what's in your refrigerator you should, there's just there's more more to gain by having less absolutely yeah I wish you could tell my wife that. So that's the thing. As a teacher, she keeps everything, keeps almost every single thing from, and, and, and we have five kids, Corbin and Amanda. So she finally has decided, okay, I want to get my life simple again. So let's look at this, Amanda. Open house, reinventing space for simple living. It's a coffee table book. And tell us um, specifically what, how can we keep things pretty simple for simple living? What are your recommendations? before we get the book? Well, a recommendation would be to, uh, well, first of all, it's like you go through your home, you have to think about what it is you actually use as opposed to... What do you need? What do you need in your life as opposed to just holding on to stuff that is either put away or, it, it, you know, touching up your home. And you've got to be kind of a little bit ruthless. I mean, Corbin... To be honest, you know, when I met him, he we both went through the collecting phases of our life, and he wasn't. What? Yeah, yeah, I'm, you're still here. I, I don't know if Corbin's on the line. Continue, Amanda. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was a big collector, and so we still got some collections, but at the end of the day, we've managed to kind of go through, um, and, and part of our, you know, the renovating and the moving has helped us get rid of, get rid of, get rid of, so you're down to the basics, right? Living with basics. Yes. Well, it's what do you need to dispose to what you want is a nice starting ground. And by the way, this doesn't mean you're doing this simply because of some, you know, you know, crystals and weird living way of life of being simple. It's actually a design aesthetic. I mean, you'll see in the book, it, it's actually a look, you know, 
a lot of people go into a museum and feel a feeling of comfort. Well, there's some paintings on the wall, they're white, and you have a sofa in the middle, and there's a, a peace and an ease to it. So we're not saying do all of this for necessarily for your lifestyle. There actually is an aesthetic to it that uh, that also um, offers a lot. I'd say something to your wife, who's if she's a teacher, and now I'll put it like this. I just thought of this as you were saying so she must teach some basic math somewhere in there. If your number is 10 and you have eight of stuff, you only have room for two more. But if your number is two, you have room for eight, meaning there's room there's room around what you have before you get filled yeah. and full. And when you have that kind of space in the day, you know, at the beginning of the day, you have what, you, have, you wake up in the morning, you have 14, 15 hours of your day. It's anything you want to make it. By the time you get to 11 o'clock at night, you're jamming, you know, because you only have an hour left. Right, exactly. So the less you have, the more potential you have. Ah. Oh, very good. I like very that. Good. I like that, Corbin, for yeah, sure. I like and, and Amanda, so th- that's basically the, the s- simple thing is what you have. And then once you figure out and you weed down things and you keep it simple, it's about specific designing. And y- and that's in your book so that people can check that out to say, okay, now we've weeded down. We've made sure we don't have so much of so much stuff. Now we're ready to decorate and make it great and simple. Right? And also, by the way, decoration doesn't cost any money. I mean, the book is, is, is kind of the art of where we started with, with more. We started with more when we met, and we were starting a family. And now we have less, but we have more better quality of life, almost, because you have more time to enjoy your life. You're not always uh, running around, you know, filled with clutter. You're, you know, it, it's a crazy world out there. And we find that in the home, if it's less, less cluttered, if it's more simple... Then you you have you you can it allows you to breathe and and you know even down to simple obvious stuff and I go back to my museum thing is and it's not for everybody we're not saying this has to be but for us it's pretty much we we paint our interior of our homes and and off white you know not stark it's not a museum and um, it's amazing when you put a painting or something or a piece of furniture a chair against or even your flat screen TV, which I'm looking at right now, up on a white wall, it stands out, you know. Um, and those are the kinds of tips. And, it's, again, white's not for everyone, and there's certainly tips in there that Amanda's shown me. And but we do people. like to bring in light. Yeah, bringing light into your home is, is a big one yeah. for us. Yeah, and white it's in stuff. That, but that's our, that's, you know, a design tip from us. It's not for everyone. But, again, it goes back toward being simple. Awesome. All right, so where's the best place we can purchase the book, Amanda? Where can we go? Where's the best place for people to check it out and stuff? Uh, well, we can get it, up, get it on Amazon, obviously, and then we're uh, Barnes & Nobles around the country are selling it, and then some small independent stores will be, but right now we're about to head off to do the the uh, signing tour around the country, especially on the East Coast, like Hawks and Barnes & Nobles coming up, Nashville, St. Louis, uh, Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Um, also, uh, again, if you want to uh, just find out more about us, where we're going to be, uh, and you'll notice her name is first, go to amandaandcorbin.com. And you see more about us. Uh, there's some photos we share and, and some links to you know things that we think are pretty cool, but also where we'll be and also where you can get the book.
Well, I'm excited for you guys, and I'm definitely going to tell my wife to check out the book. And really, uh, first comment thing I'm going to say is let's keep things simple, and we'll be good to go. So thanks for calling, guys. Best of luck and uh, with all your ventures. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. It's been great chatting with you. Bye. Take care, guys. See ya. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the Total Celebrity segment, and my guest, I'm a huge fan. Uh, from the days uh, when he was a child actor to now, so I'm excited to welcome to the program celebrity Joey Lawrence. Joey, thanks for calling, man. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So, Joey, I know people have asked this question before, but I didn't get to hear the whole story. How did you come up with the whoa? Because that really uh, took your career from Blossom all the way to where you are today, I think, for sure. Well, it's just, I mean, it was crazy, man. You know, you said it was a joke one one night. Uh, it was more like a surfer whoa, like Keanu Reeves or whatever, and it wasn't working. And they were going to cut the line, and, you know, the producer said, uh, can you try something different with it? You know, I was... 13 and my voice was cracking and I didn't know what to do with it, but I tried something that, you know, was not the surfer woe thing. And, and, uh, that came out, the audience went nuts and they kept it in the show. And, and then they added like two more that episode, that show night. And when the show aired, um, people, I guess, you know, really reacted positively to it and it took off like crazy. And that was it. I mean, I, you know, there was no social media. So, you know, 17, 18 years ago, 19 years yeah. ago, 20 years ago. So, but, it was, um, but I, so I can only imagine how quick it would have taken off then, but man, it was just literally, seemed like it was overnight. And by the end of like that season, it was just, it was cemented into pop culture and, you know, the rest is history, you know? Exactly, Joey. And would you say in so many ways that the, the, the childhood actor that you became to, to be able to evolve to where you are today, that's difficult, right? It's a challenge for somebody who is a child actor to oh, be sure. able to do for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, there are lots of ups and downs and ebbs and flows and, you know, you got to just keep pushing on. You know, it's about work ethic, man. If you want it, you got to you you, you got to you got to go after it. No one's going to give you anything. Certainly, they haven't given me anything. You know, um, you know, I've, I've had to work for everything that's come my way. But the good news is, thirty-two years later, I'm still doing it. You know, we just wrapped a year ago, and uh, believe it or not, the brothers and I are getting back together for an amazing TV project that uh, is super exciting to us. Um, very uh, different than anybody's seen us together before because we're grown ass men now. Last time we worked together, we were kids, you know. Yeah. But uh, single camera got an Emmy Award winning writer, and uh, very excited. So there's a lot of great things. I'm playing a bad guy on uh, Hawaii Five O this uh, season. CyberStationUSA.com. Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable. This is CyberStation USA. Oh, wow. The main villain this uh, season, so that's fun. And, uh, yeah, sold a movie to Sony that we're working on starting next year. Um, And I got a great new uh, unscripted series with a huge comedian that I can't tell you about yet, but I will when we do the official press release and everything. And we're going to have a show that we're working on together next year as well. And uh, the comedian is one of my favorites, and you guys will know him for sure. Oh, wow. Um, so a bunch of crazy stuff, but got to just keep working. Exactly. I've got a lot of things left to accomplish, and um, I've been lucky to, do, you know, to be able to do this as long as I have so far, but i got a lot left that I want to do, so you know, got to just keep working hard. 
it sounds like, Joey, you are definitely a creative guy that, you know, it's not just acting as we're going to talk about in your music in a second, but you really are interested in producing, directing behind the scenes. It sounds like Joey. And that's, and that's why you continue to get projects because you're not just trying to be a one trick pony. You're adding lots of different nuances to your, yeah. your craft. Yeah. You act the prior is tough. It's tough. You can't just be an actor for hire. You got to sort of create your own material and, you know, you have to push your own product as well. I mean, that's how Melissa and Joey happen. You have like to produce that and, you know, put that together from the ground up. So that's the only reason why something like that happened. You know, otherwise it wouldn't happen. But, you know, yeah, it takes a lot of work. I mean, uh, even a series with uh, the family and stuff is very is very difficult to do, you know, to find the right way in to make it, you know, the right vibe. I mean, you know, to create it from the ground up is, you know, you got to make sure that you put your best foot forward. But I've learned a lot over 36 years and, I have a lot of experience now, so I can bring that to everything that I do. And that's important because once you have experience, then people will listen and you'll find new stars and new talent. But music, I didn't know about the music, Joey. Tell us about how long you've been been performing and singing and stuff. Tell us about that. Well, performing and singing was you know, really what sort of began it all for me. I mean, when I was doing all those national commercials way back when, when I was four and a half, five years old, and the Tonight Show saw me and flew me out to, you know, to audition for for Johnny Carson, it was, uh, I had my, my boombox, I mean, I sang and danced. That's what I did. And that's why they put me on the show. And they allowed me to sing and, and perform two songs that night. Wow. Unheard of. Yeah. Um, and, um, it started everything. NBC saw that and signed me and, you know, the rest is history when it comes to that stuff, but came out with a record, uh, a, a couple of records in the late nineties. And, you know, we sold millions of copies and it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, but as usual, with a lot of artists, I didn't see you know a lot of the proceeds for that success. So, um, but bad taste in my mouth. But because of social media, about five years ago, the fans just really kept asking me to do it, and we finally got to a point where I think I was able to come up with you know a collection of songs that I felt comfortable releasing and letting them hear it. And uh, my label let me sort of make this really great sort of throwback, like late '70s, early '80s funk pop record, and record everything live. And it's just been a lot of fun so far. So, Imagine is a record, which is out everywhere now iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all that stuff. It's actually Side A. Side, side B, which is a collection of five songs, will be out in November. So Side A has five, Side B has five, but they're, we're releasing them two, two months apart. Um, and the first single, Girl, has gotten really great write-ups, and Good. I'm kind of excited. I, I really can't believe people have responded as positively as they have, actually. So when it's your own record label or your own music that you are you're you are doing everything, it's the best thing, right? Because you can make you can make money. You know that no one's going to take the money, as he said, when you had the success in the '90s with this. So it's perfect. And then your fans continue to see your talent. It sounds like exactly, exactly. This is a small little indie label, um, but the they 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 had distribution worldwide and. Um, they just really believed in what I could do, and my producer um, sort of gave me the free reins to sort of make the record that I that I really wanted to make. And that that's why I did it. You know, I I, I didn't have to listen to uh, a bunch of A and R guys or market test groups or focus groups. You know, that they were to kind of go in there and make the sound you want to make and see what happens. And that truly is what music is all about. You know, you can't worry about what people are going to think of it while you're making it. You got to you got to put your best exactly. foot forward and then bring it to the people and see what they say. That's how you do it. You know. And do you well, like do you like being in the studio yeah. recording uh, compared to the other things you it. do? You I do, love it, man. yeah, that's great. For yeah, sure. no, I love it. I love it. It, it. it fulfills a very specific part of my soul for sure. Yeah, I love it. Music is amazing. We just writing music and producing music and singing the music. It's all great. It's great stuff. How would you compare yourself to other artists for people out there that have not 
uh, heard the album yet. What, what would you say? Um, well, it's, it's like I said, it's, that, it's the late 70s, early 80s, so on top. That's what I love, that feel-good music. I mean, you know, look, Bruno's sort of doing, Bruno Mars is sort of doing the mid-80s, you know, top stuff. And for me, I just love that late 70s funk stuff. So, um, you know, that's when all, that's, you know, the end of the Earth, Wind & Fire run, Commodores, yes. you know, Michael Jackson off the wall. It's that kind of stuff. That's Stevie Wonder. That's the stuff I love. So um, that's kind of the record that I that sort of inspired me, and that's the kind of record that I wanted to make. So, you know, that's that's sort of the album. But I think people are going to be able to feel good. I, I, some of the responses so far has just been it's just so much fun. And that's all I wanted to accomplish. It's not a message about, you know, world peace. It's not a message about where we are in the world today. I think we're reminded by all the stuff that we got going on 24 hours a day in the news cycle, you know, and on social media. What I like about entertainment is when you can escape. You know, for me, that's what I love about music, and that's my favorite music, favorite entertainment, movies, TV shows. Is ones that I don't, I don't worry about what's going on in the real world. I get to escape for 20 minutes or three minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or two hours. That's what entertainment is all about. I feel like today so much of entertainment just reflects what's going on, and that to me is like it, 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 there is a time and place for that, but it's also with the social media explosion in the 24-hour news cycle, we are exposed to those those elements more than we ever have before as people. And I don't think we need to be reminded so much in entertainment about it as much anymore because that's got to be more of an escape. And I feel like that's what I wanted to do with this music is just make it fun, period. Just fun. That's uh, it. All right, so it's now available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And, Joey, we can follow you on what places, uh, social media-wise? You know, I'm on Twitter, Joey Lawrence. I'm on Instagram, at Joey Lawrence. I'm on Facebook, official Joey Lawrence. Uh, yeah, so you can find me everywhere, man. And it was great to hear some of the things coming up for you. Hawaii Five O, all these different things. So people yeah, got to yeah, check. I'm glad for you. It's exciting. And continue to do what you love. And that's fantastic, Joey. And thanks for calling. And best of luck with the album and all the other stuff you're doing. Okay, man? Thank you very much. Take care. See you, Joey. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. See you. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to Neil Haley's show in the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program American Idol and now star of INSP's State Plate, Taylor Hicks. Taylor, how are you, man? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I uh, wanted to touch base with you and see how things are going. It's been such fantastic uh, season one of State Plate, and now things keep getting better and better, aren't, aren't they? You know, it's, um, you know, as we go through, um, ultimately our goal is to do all 50 states, and we're, uh, we're at number 26 right now, so we've got a little bit, a little bit more to go, but, but it's, a, uh, it's a great show, and I'm just thrilled that we're, that we're able to to have a second season and uh, now a second season 2.2 where we're going to hit 12 more states. So uh, it's, um, you know, it's a blessing to be able to host it, but it's also educational. Oh, absolutely. When you first started this, I I, I heard how excited you were before it even premiered Taylor, that you just liked the idea of traveling the country and finding the best places to, you know, to, 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 to go and check out the, the amazing things in those states. And you love traveling, but you're traveling when you're uh, 
when you sing is a lot different. You don't get to spend as much time. This place, this time you really get to spend time in these states and learn about and see many people and really learn about the best food in those areas, right? You know, it's a, it's really educational for me, and I hopefully it's educational for the viewer. But you know, these all of these states, um, you know, they do have iconic foods. And what's interesting in one state um, to someone may be really interesting in another state to someone else. So it's always interesting, you know, for me being from Alabama, you know, um, you know, what what do people eat in in the state of Washington? What people eat in the in the state of North Dakota, what people eat in South Dakota. So I think that's kind of where the interest is drawn is where the, you know, where the, where the, where, where these foods are coming from. Exactly. Where the, where these uh, foods are coming from and each state, you can't pick a favorite Canyon Taylor with some of the amazing places you've discovered in your journey of the show. You know, you can't. Um, it's just something that this is what makes State Plate so great, is that we are really hitting every state with all of these iconic foods. Now, some foods may come from the establishments, kind of like diners, drives, and dine-ins, and then some foods are you know, coming from the farm uh, and the farmlands, and uh, that's what's What's great about this show is that we're able to really expose the, the small small farmer and just let people know how important um, these foods are to America. Absolutely. And these foods, why they're important in America, and what makes that state so special? Let's talk about uh, the new states that you're going to be traveling to. I think Alaska is a pretty cool one, right? That's going to be a little different type of food than some of the other states you've visited so far. Very different. Uh, you know, being, uh, being from Alabama, um, the only kind of thing that we know, um, you know, the only thing we really know about Alaska more times than not is that they come second in the order of states. Uh, and, it's been amazing to be able to go up there and expose all of those really great foods. I didn't realize how great those foods actually were. Um, you know, you've got the king salmon, and uh, you have all of these really unique, iconic foods that you think about um, that really are exports for that state. Yeah, definitely. And what type of place did you visit when you when you traveled to Alaska? What kind of uh... You know, we went to the rivers. Uh, obviously, there's rivers and there's game. Um, you know, there's game that you that you, that is very iconic up there. Some farmlands. So that's something that we uh, that we try to expose. Oh, that's great. So it's not just Taylor. It's not just the the the, the restaurants. It's as you talked about the farmland. It depends in the area and where you're going and stuff like that. What? It does. I mean, it's yeah. Cool, cool. Now, when you go to Jersey, that's New Jersey, a lot different than Alaska, right, Ed Taylor, for sure? It, very different. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 
uh, and, you know, that's what's great about the the show is that, again, it's, it's uh, you know, it's showing all the diversity that we have in this country and how diverse the country is. So that's um, something that I'm always educated on uh, as we travel through this show. So it's been um, it's been fun to be able to expose just the diversity of the foods. And the diversity of the foods, Taylor, that, that's that's for sure in, in so many ways. And have you now, after experiencing all these great states, uh, changed some of your style of, of how you enjoy the cooking or what types of meals you have now with all these experiences that you've had? Well, it's opened my, it's definitely opened my palate up. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody in Alabama, when you're born in Alabama, you 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 start with a palate, a pretty good one at that. Yeah. But I think it's definitely, I definitely just definitely opened up to, um, you know, a lot of these um, different types of food that, that, you know, that make complete sense after you try them. Um, so that's something that I just, um, you know, I, CyberStationUSA.com. Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable. This is CyberStation USA. I'm just very blessed to be able to host a show like this. Absolutely. For sure. And uh, what you talked about the educational portion of this show, Taylor. This is something you should recommend a lot of uh, teachers uh, show their kids and also parents see that they can watch the show and learn from these different states and how they're different and the, the culture and stuff, for sure. Yes, and the, and the culture is that it's, um, you know, that it's, it's diverse, and that's what's great about what makes up America is that, that, that there is truly diversity in, these, in these, all of these iconic state foods. And, and those uh, iconic state foods are, are quite uh, interesting. Do you have a favorite, Taylor? I, I kept saying you've enjoyed all of it. What, has there been a favorite trip so far? You know, I love the state of Maine. Um, you know, being from Alabama, you just always hear about lobster, you know. And the thing about it is that, you know, if lobster is on the state plate menu, uh, then, you know, we're going on the lobster boat and we're, we're really going to those places of the origin of which the foods come from. So that's something that I love is, you know, going on a lobster boat is just not something this Alabama boy's ever done before. And so those kinds, at that particular state, just the time of the year, um, the food that it produced was, um, was just, was just one of those that really stood out to me. It definitely seemed like, it would for sure. Thinking about lobster, <laughs> anytime we can have lobster and have the best lobster, Taylor, it's it's a it's a worthwhile experience. Uh, I'm telling you, yep. I don't know how, and I know that there that you've had lobster in Alabama. Would you say Maine's is the is the best place to get lobster? <laughs> you know, believe it on the believe it or not, um, lobster rolls are on the menu at McDonald's in Maine during lobster season. Really? Who would have thought it, right? No, I, w I wouldn't have thought that at all. I would have said, what, really? That's got to be unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So what I see with the whole um, opportunities is the way this show makes it different to other food shows. The more you've explained this and the more that you've experienced this is that you're really showing America. Not just, okay, you drive down the street and you go to a diner. Not just, okay, you're going to go here. You're going to teach them about that state. Understand what's iconic about that state. Specific landmarks. How you are able to find food that's unlike that other state, right? And that's how you guys come up, come up with those ideas for each episode. You know, that's what it's all about. State Plate has it, and uh, you can... You can see it on Friday nights on the INSP channel at 8 o'clock Eastern. Awesome. Taylor, where's the best place social media-wise we can connect with you and stuff? Where can we go? You can do uh, Instagram. Um, you can do Twitter. I've got the website, so you can pretty much pretty much follow me everywhere. Awesome. And and are you any other projects going on right now, Taylor? I've got a single or a music single coming out in the fall and a brand new record coming out uh, early next year. So how are you able to juggle all this traveling and then also your music? It's pretty challenging, isn't it? You know, you just uh, close your eyes and hope for the best. It's good to be busy, right, Taylor? That's the important thing of being in an entertainment field. You better be busy. Yep. The phone, it never rang for 10 years and the phone rang it's now, so I'm answering it. Hey, keep answering it. Everyone needs to check out INSP State Plate on Friday nights at 8 p.m., and I appreciate you calling, Taylor, and best of luck. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care, man. See you. All right. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity Richard Rawlings. We're going to talk about garage rehab, fast and loud, all the different things you do, man. Richard, thanks for calling. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, sir. I hope you guys are doing great, too. Absolutely, Richard. I know you're excited about this garage rehab on Discovery Channel, right? I mean, to, to, to be able to help other people have awesome garages like you have, for sure, it must be a fun venture. I, I really am. It, it's something that's near to my heart, and I'm very humbled and blessed to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, these I was in the same position many times while trying to get Gas Monkey going. So, you know, to, to the, the help to give a leg up is something I would— would pray for at night, you know, if I could just get that piece of equipment or, or just that bank loan, you know, to get on down the road. And uh, so it's very cool to be uh, in a position to be able to, to go out there and help others that are in the same spot. So you were in that position at one point in time with some of these garages we're in that on the show, right? You, you dealt with some of these situations as well. No, I really did. Uh, it's, it's been a rough road. I mean, everybody says, oh, you know, gas monkey's this, but I mean, it took, 15 hard years of getting there, and I'll tell you, if you want to get humble real fast, go ask your wife to borrow a 1000 bucks because you can't make rent. That'll get your attention. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and you have, to, you have to you put yourself out there, Richard, right? You put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone and say, I want to do this. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to make it, and the process is that you're going to have a lot of lumps, and this is what you're going to teach a lot of these guys when you're helping them rehab their garage for sure. Yes, sir, for sure. I mean, uh, and we've we've got it, – it's all about the individuals, too, the guys and gals that own these shops uh, and, and whether or not they're willing to put in the work. Uh, we've we had to walk away from a few of them that, that just, uh, you know, they, they, they said they wanted the help, but I could tell that they, they weren't going to do anything with it. 
So once you get into a garage, what what should we accept, expect? We see lots of different rehab shows for certain things, from bars to restaurants to, uh, I guess, uh, um, making over a house. What's the difference when you're going into a garage and trying to fix it and help them? You know, the difference is is that uh, we're we're truly invested in them as people and 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 as that as a business. And you're not going to see the drama of kicking boxes and yelling at them and tell them how bad they are or anything like that. I mean. We're there to, to be a part of it and to help them get turned around on the right path, not to belittle them or yell at them or what have you. So uh, hopefully you'll see that there's a lot less drama, and then there's still a lot of eye candy because at the end of the day we're dealing with shops and cars and motorcycles and hot rods and what have you. So, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff to see. <laughs> and what do you what do you, what makes a great garage, Richard? Define that for me. What makes a great garage? It can be anything from from fifteen hundred square feet to ten thousand square feet. What makes a great garage is the people and and their love for what they do. Uh, I'm a little worried about the future with the with the young kids being so into computers and things like that, and we're losing a lot of our hand manual laborers. And uh, you know, to see uh, the, the guys that are just so passionate, they can do anything. They're smart enough to do anything, and they want to work on cars. And uh, you know, that's it's it's starting to become a lost art. I, I completely agree with you, and that's a great point you make that, you know, we all are forcing these kids or not forcing these kids in school. Hey, you got to go ahead, get go to college. Well, it's not always about college. It would be great that they can, but develop a trade, develop a skill, because there's a lot of money to be made, right, Richard, if you are very good in, in, in the garage, right? You can make a real good living and put your kids through college and, and have a nice retirement. It's just uh... – you know, the, the the general consensus thinking of putting the kids through schools or, you know, do all this college stuff and learn the computers, which is great. You have to know it. Uh, but uh, I'd like to see more people working with their hands. I, I agree because some people, that's their skill set. That's their passion. They love to do this. And people working in your garage, they love to do this, right, Richard? They love working. Oh, my guys, yeah. my, my guys live, eat, and breathe it. I mean, they'll work a hard, killer week for us on, on a Gas Monkey Garage, Fast and Loud. And then turn around and work in the evenings and on the weekends on their own stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, they they do it twenty four seven. When you chose the garages that you were going to rehab, what were you looking for in that garage owner? Was there a specific? I was really looking for dedication to their business uh, and their family. Um, you know, because when you do something like this, you do get some that you know aren't quite on the up and up, and they just think they want to be a part of it and. So we were very, very picky about who we uh, did business with and, and chose people that were really dedicated to it and dedicated to their family and, and wanted to make a, a run of it and just did somehow over the years lost their way. Yeah, and they wrong things happened to them. Certain things happened that just shut them down. Well, you know, the, the first IRS letter or yeah. the first, you know, bad job or bad investment hurts. And then the second one, and then, you know, you get two or three of them piled on you. And then that's just, who cares? I need to eat today and I need to pay the rent. And, you know, uh, it's sometimes it's very, I've been in the exact same situation. It's very, very hard to crawl out of it. As entrepreneurs, Richard, we all go through this. At one point when we take that next step or we take that next leap it's not that easy, and it's great that you're going to be able to show this on the show because a lot of garage owners out there should watch for sure. Check out Garage Rehab because they're going to be able to see, Richard, that it's not that easy, and how can we take it to the next level? And you're really trying to have a diversity of garages right on the show, correct? Yeah, we've got motorcycle shops, regular shops, uh, you know, paint shops, 
uh, hot rods. I mean, a little bit of everything that, that meets into our genre. That's great. That's fantastic. And Garage Rehab uh, premieres on Wednesday, August 30th at 10 p.m. Eastern, Richard. And what do you think we're going to be surprised about with the show, especially when we're fans of Fast and Loud? What are we going to expect that's different in a way of you? Uh, and I think that uh, as far as me, they're going to see the the really true business side of Richard and, and uh, a, a different kind of, I mean, what you've seen with Fast and Loud is uh, is is what I've done with Gas Monkey, and you, you don't really get into the meat and potatoes of the business part of it. And I think you're going to see that, uh, you know, I'm uh, hopefully able to transfer some of the the, the stuff I've learned along the way uh, into uh, uh, you know uh, an ability that everybody can understand. And I don't think that we've been able to show that as much on Fast and Loud, and I'm excited to show that part of uh, Richard on the on the garage rehab. Awesome. Where's the best place we can find information on you, follow you, Richard, and all that? Where can we go? Oh, GasMonkeyGarage.com, GasMonkeyGarage on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, whatever else the new new British bag of thing is. And, uh, you know, uh, thanks to all the fans out there. I mean, I wouldn't be here without y'all. Hey, well, congratulations on all the different things. We see you on TV all the time, Richard, so we're, we're really excited for you and all the different ventures and projects you have. Do you have anything else coming out right now that you wanted to tell our listeners about? I got a couple more shows coming out, uh, hopefully one uh, before the end of the year and uh, another one uh, in the uh, spring of next year, and uh, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. What I'm then working on is going to be with the kids, like I'm talking about. We're going to get into some shops and shop classes that uh, have have the young kids in there and, and try to teach for a few things. Well, have that passion, Richard. Give back for the success that you've had and, get, and keep helping people uh, go after their dreams. So thanks for calling. I appreciate it, Richard. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Okay, take care. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm, I'm excited to welcome the program, and this uh, really interests me for sure. Author of Fourth and Goal Every Day, Alabama's Relentless Pursuit for of Perfection, I'd like to welcome the program Phil Savage. Phil, thanks for calling. How are you? Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the release tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you know, Phil, when you talk about Alabama football and what uh, what um, Saban's been able to do, it's just absolutely amazing, isn't it? What he was been able to accomplish at Alabama. Yeah, it, yeah, it really is. I think this is an era in college football it'll be talked about, you know, 25, 50, 75 years from now because Bama's won four national titles in eight years. They played for a fifth. And honestly, with a few other plays going a different direction in the other couple of seasons, they could have conceivably played for seven of the last eight national titles at the highest level of the sport when you talk about the college game. So, you know, the background here is that, you know, I was – and, and I'm a native of the state. I grew up here during the during the Bear Bryant era in the 70s, which seemingly was a similar dominant right. uh, period of time for Alabama. Uh, then I worked for Bill Belichick. CyberStationUSA.com Terrestrial radio is basically going to be supplanted by what's happening in technology. Think about this. Your internet receiver gives you the entire world. It's remarkable. This is CyberStation USA. Back at Nick Saban in the early 90s with the original Cleveland Browns. And, and then uh, when I came back here to be the radio color analyst, 
the last eight years, I just felt like, okay, you know, there's a book in there somewhere to link all of these things together. And so that's really what Fourth and Goal Every Day is all about. And that's very interesting when you talk about that, Phil, because, again, you've had experience working with some very, very interesting teams. Even you worked with the Ravens as well. And that for our, our, our Pittsburgh listeners out there knowing the Ravens-Steelers uh, rivalry. But to have perfection, to pursue perfection, to be the best, it takes a lot of work, a lot of teamwork, isn't it, Phil? The whole team, not just the head coach, everyone around them. Yeah, it takes. Uh, it comes from the leadership at the top, and then it it just comes with hiring the right people and making sure everybody understands their responsibility of of doing their job, knowing their role. Those roles have to be defined. And you know, when Nick Saban uh, left the Browns in 1994, he went and became the head coach of Michigan State. And of course, from there, he went to LSU. And you know, after a two-year stop with the Dolphins, he returned to the college game at Alabama. But he brought a lot of elements of what you would consider to be NFL-type philosophies in terms of uh, the evaluation of recruits, uh, to the approach to practice, uh, the way things are segmented out in practice, and then you know, ultimately some sophistication, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, for Alabama, and, and with all that being said, after really one season in 2007, his first year in Tuscaloosa, they were 7-6. and six. It was sort of an inventory type of year. Right. But yeah. since that time, get this, they've had three games, three regular season games that did not have national championship implications involved. So in other words, every regular season game since 2008, with the exception of three, the national championship has still been out there for Alabama. That's got to be amazing, especially with how difficult it is to recruit, right, Phil? It's not the easiest thing. Well, I would say that, you know, the college coach would tell you that the recruiting calendar and and the demands of, of going after these prospects is probably the most difficult part of the college game. I think the coaches love working with their players on the field and spring football, training camp, and then, of course, during the season, uh, the practices and the games. But the recruiting is really a burden. And, and I tell you, a lot of head coaches in college football, they turn it over to the staff, and they'll just sign off on you know, the 20 or 25 players that they sign each and every year. There are some coaches that are really good at evaluations. There are some that are not as interested in it. But Nick Saban has embraced that. He he has a, a passion for recruiting uh, that's just as strong as his desire to win on Saturdays. And I think that's one of the real separating factors for him is not only uh, does he want to recruit, but he also wants to evaluate. And that's a very time-consuming uh, ordeal to put all of that together. It definitely does. So then once he has his recruits and he's ready to prepare himself for the season, tell us that preparation that uh, Coach Saban goes through from, I guess, uh, the off season to finally the football season. Yeah, Neil, I have several chapters in the book, you know, about, you know, not only their recruiting, but more importantly, the evaluation of the players. And then once they get those players on campus, uh, the idea of developing those players. We've heard Nick Saban say numerous times that football is a developmental sport. And so while, 
you know, some five-star recruits can come in and play right away. There are others that need some incubation time uh, over the course of a season or two before they're ready for prime time and, and to hit the field. And, you know, Alabama uh, under Nick Saban and, you know, under a lot of different assistant coaches. I mean, this will be about his fourth or fifth iteration wow, yeah. of the staff this year in 2017, and he's always been the common denominator in all of this. But for whatever reason, people are able to, to integrate themselves in the staff and figure out, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and this is how I'm supposed to be trying to develop these players. And I think it's really, you know, another one of the, the big separators between them and most everyone else is the idea of not only bringing in gifted players, but then really training them in the right way with their hands, their eyes, their feet, their hips, all the essential elements of football. So practice is really a, a developmental process, it sounds like, under Coach Saban. Yeah, I, I've always said that, you know, they while the results are, are, of winning occur on Saturdays, uh, Bama more importantly, wins the other 300 and, you know, 50 days out of the year. And a lot of that centers around uh, the practice field uh, in an era where literally in my duties for the Reese's Senior Bowl, I visit a lot of campuses during the fall and, you know, almost all the schools play music now. Uh, everyone's concerned about, uh, you know, too much hitting, too much uh, contact. Uh, you go to an Alabama practice, they don't have music. They generate their own enthusiasm from within, and they work on fundamentals every single day. And I think that's, you know, you take top-flight recruits, put it with this kind of development, and then give them the, the training and and the the background in terms of the preparation of what to expect on a, on a Saturday in a game. And, and there's a reason why uh, they've been able to accomplish as much as they have over the last decade. Absolutely. And Phil, the last point is that when you're recruiting, a lot of these kids have a dream to play in the NFL and coach Saban is able to develop NFL players. Correct. Especially you being in the NFL game as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah. One thing that happens is, you know, when the NFL scout goes into Alabama, they're going to see those prospects performing duties that they're going to be tasked to do in the NFL. In other words, there are pro-like systems and pro-like responsibilities, either on defense or offense or even on special teams. And so there's not a ton of projection involved. In other words, the NFL scout can write, okay, I've seen, you know, this particular player, uh, you know, play cover two, play cover three. I've seen this running back, you know, run between the tackles, catch the ball out of the backfield, whatever the case might be. You know, with the advent of the spread offense and the way it's taken root and really, you know, sort of changed the evolution of college football, for the NFL scout, oftentimes it's a bit of guesswork. I mean, you're trying to right. to mine through a, a hundred plays in a given game to find ten or twelve that will will actually apply to the to the pros. And so, with that being said, that's one reason why you've seen NFL teams gravitate towards Alabama players. You know, this year they had 10 total picks. Uh, they've had 55, uh, you know, top flight wow. choices yeah. during uh, Nick Saban's time at Alabama. So, you know, it's definitely a, 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 a hotbed for 
for NFL scouting, and you know all 32 teams will send at least two, if not three, sometimes four different people into Tuscaloosa over the course of the season. All right, well, fantastic, Phil. The best place we can purchase the book in all finer bookstores, check it out on Amazon. Is there a place we can find information on you as well, Phil? The book comes out tomorrow. Yeah, you know, you follow me on Twitter, Senior Bowl, at Senior Bowl Phil. Of course, our SeniorBowl.com website has a ton of information for those that are interested in football beyond just Alabama. But the book is available online and will be in stores uh, as of tomorrow on Tuesday the 29th. All right, Phil, good luck in the season. Have another great season of Alabama football, and we'll see what happens, okay? All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for the All right. All right, take it, Phil. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and it's the Author's Corner segment, and I'm just really, really, really excited to welcome to the program author of Diana, I'm Going to Be Me, Phil Dampier. Uh, Phil, thanks for calling, and you know what, Phil? Diana is something that, especially in the United States, is something that... If you grew up in that time period, it's just there's so many people that wanted to be Diana. And I'm sure you hear that conversation all the time. Yeah, that's right. It's an absolute uh, phenomenon, isn't it? And uh, for me, a reporter who was actually reporting on her at the height of her fame 25, 30 years ago, it's bringing back all sorts of memories, as you can imagine, this 20th anniversary. It kind of seems like yesterday. But what fascinates me most is that uh, a lot of people are coming to it completely fresh. You know, when you think about it, if you you could be a young parent with a a kid in a pram age 20 and you weren't even alive when Diana died, and anyone under 30 probably doesn't remember her. So for a whole generation, of people, uh, they are discovering this woman for the first time, and they are finding her a fascinating historical figure, a fascinating fashion icon, uh, a trailblazer in all sorts of fields like uh, AIDS, HIV, and and landmines, and somebody who really changed the monarchy. And of course, they they know all about William and Harry, and it's only now that they're kind of seeing where William and Harry get a lot of their personality from their mother. And uh, it's it's fascinating to see people discover it for the first time, and as you say, people rediscovering it. For sure. And they want to talk about it. And then the specials come out and all the different things and the the 20th anniversary. And to think about specifically enough, Diana, it really, I was going to say, Phil, before the question I was trying to think, thinking about Diana, is that she really shook uh, Britain by storm, right? That they did not expect a princess to act like she acted. And it but it changed the whole way the monarchy would be. So kind of explain when she came on the rise and she married Prince Charles how it kind of changed a lot of what you look at when you look at a princess. Well, that's right. In the early 1980s, which is when she joined the royal family, she was—you got to remember—she was only 20 years old. That's the amazing thing. So she came into it with a lot of a lot of naivety, a lot of fresh ideas, and uh, as you say, she was completely different from any other royal. And uh, before that, if you'd been reporting on the Queen or Princess Margaret or the Queen Mother, it would all be sort of you know, don't get too too close to them, don't touch them. And Diana was completely different. She would be very touchy-feely with people. She would uh, she even talk to us, the press, who were following her around. Uh, and kind of interact with us. And uh, I think that's where she got a lot of her popularity. She was quite good at um, manipulating the press. And I remember all sorts of occasions when we were following her around and she would, uh, for example, on a holiday when she would uh, know that we were there and she would strip off uh, to a bikini on a beach.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.